Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> so, we talked about um, the... <clears throat> I told you last week that we were going to kind of put aside our study of James for this week and um, only do a... Uh, this is only one week interlude. Where next week we'll go back, um, go back into going through James week in and week out for until Easter. So uh, this week, though, we're, we're talking about Freedom Sunday, and I saw this really funny video this week that made me think of Freedom Sunday. Um, so there's this place, some of you maybe saw this, it was one of those viral thingies, um, <laughs> and uh, there's this tiger place in China where they've got these really obese tigers. I mean crazy obese tigers like bellies dragging on the ground okay and uh and the 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 keepers of the tigers were trying to find a way to um to slim the tigers up right to get the tigers some exercise um in church language to disciple the tigers towards uh towards health and uh so they decided that the tigers would chase after birds if they put a bird in the enclosure or they they somehow got a bird in there, the tigers would chase after that. So they got a drone, okay? And they put the drone in the enclosure and flew the drone around. And it was working marvelously for 10 minutes until one tiger, uh, as obese as it was, jumped about 12 feet into the air and knocked it out of the ground and started to chew it. <clears throat> and uh, I was thinking, I was thinking sometimes we really like to be comfortable, right? And sometimes there are these really hard things in Scripture um, that we would prefer to just be left, left to our ignorance, and would just swat it out of the out of the air for for whatever reason. Um, because this topic of human trafficking is is frustrating, and it's it's a lot easier to just kind of as the pastor that I grew up with, um, he would say, uh, you know, that the church liked to sit on its blessed assurance, right? Um, <laughs> like. Instead of thinking about the hard stuff, let's just sit in our sit in our hope and and just be optimistic and kind of ignore ignore the pain or the problems in the world and just be like a tiger who's like, no, I'd rather I'd rather knock this thing out of the air and just be left to my comfort. Um, don't do that. <laughs> that's 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 bad. <laughs> The world is in dire circumstances. Our neighborhood is in dire circumstances. There are, and we can can fill up on spiritual milk and get ourselves to be um, to be dormant and not moving if we'd like to. Like you can do that, and maybe I've been in churches where that was kind of the norm, but that's not what we want. We want to be challenged by these things so that we can be spiritually active in the world that God cares about. So. Now that I've justified why why we're doing this to begin with, uh, just in case, the uh, I want to I want to give you whoops I want to give you two two passages from the Old Testament. One is from Proverbs, and the other one is is out of Psalms. So Proverbs thirty one, this is a letter that is is or it's a it's a record of what a mother was telling her son, whose name was Lemuel, I think, and he was a king. Okay, and so this mother writes this letter to him, and, and it's 
The second half of the chapter is about um, an ode to a, to a righteous wife, right? So like people talk about being a Proverbs 31 woman, and that happens right after this. But the beginning of, of that instruction that the mother gives him is actually about justice for this son of hers that has great influence, that he's to use his influence to enact God's justice. And one of the things that she encourages him to do is this, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So that um, the, his voice as king, as influence, as someone with power, uh, is, is a responsibility. And it's not a responsibility to defend those who need no defense. It's a responsibility to defend those who, who need to be defended, those who are destitute, those who need him. There's a really similar passage then in Psalm 82 that I have, I have some deep personal history with this particular passage. Uh, it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Um, if I were translating this, I'd maybe put quotation marks around the word gods. Because actually, if you read the whole context, it looks like uh, the kings of the earth think of themselves as, as gods. So he's probably actually talking more about kings than like, the, the false idol, like Baal or something like that. So he said, God's that's judging these people. And it says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. There's this uh, idea that um, we as a church have influence. We're not kings, but we have influence. You as an individual have influence. Many of you have an enormous amount of influence in your sphere. Um, some of you maybe just have influence over your kids. I don't know, whatever influence you have, though. I think we should submit that influence um, and that ability and that voice to... Uh, to God and to his causes and to his heart. And so um, I, for me, it is a red flag. It's a red flag when a Christian who has an enormous amount of, of influence does not do this. It even has biblical reasons that they've come up with for why they don't need to do this. That oftentimes it feels as though there is a... Uh, an out-of-balance advocacy for those who don't need any advocacy, right? For whatever reason. But I want us, I want me to be a pastor who uses my voice to stand up for those who haven't a voice. I want us to be a church that uses our collective voice for the sake of those who need it. It's too easy. It's too easy to, to you know, spend our, our, our political capital. I don't know, even know what that means in the church world, but to spend our influence on, uh, on, I don't know, a big rally or something, you know, where somebody who's already really powerful, who already really needs, doesn't need anything except for people to come to their thing. I'd rather, I'd rather if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna spend a lot of energy, I'm gonna spend a lot of my time. If I'm gonna spend my voice, I want to spend it for somebody who really needs it, 
I want to I spend it on people who are in dire circumstances. I want us to do that. This, uh, this Freedom Sunday, we're, we're, we're talking about the, um, the pink door, and, and I love the fact that that's, that's the heart of their ministry is that because this particular issue, especially when it's it's um, prostitution, it's related to, to sexual activity. There's such a stigma around those people who've gone through that that they really, truly, deeply need advocates in the process of coming out of the industry. Um, they need people to stand alongside them and say, I will, I will be a buffer to the outside world because you are really wounded and you're really hurt and you, you, have, um, you have done something that the world does not accept, the church does not accept. And simply saying, I'm not doing that anymore, does not wipe away that non-acceptance for a lot of people. And so their desperately needs in the pink door model, the way that they do their ministry is, when you come in the door, when you're accepted into the ministry, you have a mentor who will be that for you, that goes out into the world for you, goes out to church with you, goes to the different places with you. It is a, um, it is a crucial facet of this, of this idea. So uh, big picture kind of stuff. Some of you have heard these kind of statistics before, and these are all estimates because how can you know? Like the whole point is that people are doing it illegally, right? So you, you can't – if you don't know, they're, if they're, they're trying not to do – not to let you know that they're doing it, it's hard to come up with estimates. But these are estimates that are generally accepted, that there are 20.9 million victims of human trafficking globally. Human trafficking, um, these are – there is forced labor of, of really any kind. It's slavery, sexual slavery, and or um, working slavery. So 68% of these people are trapped in forced labor. Um, those are the people who are not in like the sex industry. 26% of them are children. 55% are women and girls. Uh, forced labor is estimated to be a $150 billion industry worldwide. The U.S. Department of Labor has identified 139 goods from 75 countries made by forced and child labor. Uh, so that there's a uh, um, the the shrimp industry actually a lot of the whole lot of shrimp comes from Southeast Asia, places like Thailand, and uh, there are there's a lot of evidence that the the de-shelling of the shrimp happens from people who are in cages on boats um, that don't aren't allowed out of that cage. They're literally caged on a boat, and all they do for their waking hours is is on, is on make these shrimp ready. And it was something like a couple years ago, it was like 80% of the shrimp sold in the United States was was uh, had gone through that process. So that's the kind of thing that this 139 goods from 75 countries made by forced and child labor so in 2015, this is more domestic. This is not a, not a global thing, but in an estimated one in five of endangered runaways in the U.S. So people who have uh, kids who have run away um, that have been reported runaways were likely child sex trafficking victims. And of those, 74% were in the care of social services or foster care when they ran away. Um, there are uh, 
the there's a hotline in the U.S. for um, for people who are, are stuck in some kind of human trafficking issue, and and they got thirty thousand calls last year in the U.S. hotline. So it is a thing. I was trying to look it up and I ran out of time, but I know that I read that there was also a sting operation during the Super Bowl um, that arrested like 111 people or something like that. It was over 100 people who were involved in setting up uh, a prostitution ring during during the Super Bowl. Um, so there's this global problem. Um, it reminds me, you know, the Psalms and and uh, several places in the Psalms and seven places in in the Book of Lamentations. There's this this plea to the Lord that says, "How long shall the wicked prosper? Um, how long shall the wicked prosper?" It's easy to think about it as an out there kind of thing. We're raising money for the pink door, which is obviously in Berlin is way, you know, way far away. But, um, but this is a, this is an issue that this particular church should be more aware of than most churches. I know a lot of you have come within the last five years or so, but about eight years ago, so about two years before I became the pastor, um, there's a house right across the street where, um, the, the man who was living in the home had uh, a teenage girl that he had advertised on Craigslist for a long period of time, and uh, and they they were busted. He was busted, and um, it was right across the street, I mean, literally across the street from our church. There's also been uh, people that I've talked to um, have come in our doors who have gotten into circumstances that are pretty much human trafficking without them knowing it. It's dark. Uh, we, we had a, uh, a young woman who lived here and was a part of, of some of our ministries, and then she moved away, and she moved away. Um, she was, uh, had a, a family member who, and she was very, she was very young, like 18, 17, and a family member who raped her, and she called us and told us about the situation. And so we, we bought her a ticket to leave that. And, uh, and she was risked life and rent limb to get away. So these, these things feel far away, but they're not. Feel absent. Maybe they don't to you, though. <laughs> um, they're not a part of my everyday world, but maybe they are a part of your everyday world. And so, yes, we're raising money for the pink door, but where I really want to get to today is what can we do consistently um, to ensure. That's something that is so clearly, um, so clearly against God's will for the world. How can we be a part of fighting that here too? And I don't think that costs any money. Um, obviously, we we're going to support the Pink Door and the wonderful work that they're doing. But um, I feel like 
everything that I preach on a consistent basis over and over and over again about listening to people and being safe and trusted for people and um, interacting with those who are broken and accepting those who are broken, accepting people who come from all kinds of different walks of life and, and not judging um, a book by its cover, but allowing yourself to be vulnerable with people who are different from you. Um, if we can do that, if we live that out, if we can become trusted friends for those at risk, because it is such a shameful kind of thing. People live in shame. Those survivors, when, you, when they come out and they tell their stories, what you realize is that they stayed, they stayed in Egypt. They stayed in slavery because they felt like they were responsible. They felt like they deserved to be there. And so what, they, what happens is somebody breaks through. Somebody is safe enough to tell. Somebody that you believe will not judge you, will not push you away. There's that person out there. We can do that. We can legitimately do that over and over and over again. And it doesn't just have to be for trafficking. It can be for all kinds of things. As long as we have open doors, as long as we have people who come in and out of this building, especially on, on Wednesday nights, people come to us in need, we have to be the kind of church that is dedicated, fiercely dedicated to being a place of trust, to being a safe place as individuals and as a church. Because uh, another thing that happens with all this that we've, I've, anyway, another thing that happens is that this is really hard. Some of you have relationships with people that are, are in and out of Egypt all the time, right? In and out of, of this world all the time. And that to be a relation, to have a relationship with them can be really frustrating. The, the girl that we bought the ticket for went back. Right? Remember in, in, uh, when in the book of Exodus, the Israelites leave and they're liberated and God does all these miracles to get them liberated. And then what do they say to Moses? They're starting to run out of food and they say to Moses, maybe we should go back to Egypt because it's safe. It's what we know. And we at, least, at least we know we'll get fed. Right? And it is scary to be liberated. It is scary to come out of, uh, of any kind of oppression. And so it takes a community of mentors to do this thing, to really be a part of recovery and healing for people. It takes a community of people who are willing to admit, I am actually not as different from you as the world thinks I am. I'm broken too, and I can come to you humbly, and I can be that safe person. And let me introduce you to this other person. When I get too tired and when I get too broken, let me introduce you to this other person who's like me. They too are safe. They too know that they um, are in need. They too are someone you can trust. So to be a community of safety, um, to learn and know the available resources, there are these hotlines. One of the things that I'm going to do is, uh, I haven't asked permission to do this, but I don't think anybody would say no. Um, do and then ask permission later, except that doesn't work very well when you mention it in a sermon, I guess. Um, there are these stickers you can get, you can put in your bathroom uh, at churches or public places that are, have the hotline number on them, right? So if somebody is in a dire situation where they're being taken advantage of, the one place that they get to go that they're not observed is a bathroom stall. So you put the sticker with a hotline that can be texted and not just called. Because if you call from a bathroom, somebody on the outside, if they're waiting for you, could potentially hear what's going on. So I want to I put those stickers in our bathroom that have those hotlines. Um, that's a really simple 
costs us almost. I'm pretty sure you can get the stickers for free. So learn and know the available resources because they are out there. It doesn't have to be just us. We have a wonderful nonprofit um, safety net in this community that we are supportive of and, and need to keep learning more about. And then finally, uh, we can avoid and delegitimize victim shaming. This is the church's historical problem, is that we want, uh, we don't really believe sometimes that that judgment is God's and God's alone. We want proof that people are redeemed, or we want proof that people were not guilty in the way that they ended up in these dire circumstances. And, uh, and we end up talking about these issues in ways that make victims um, guilty. That is something that, as a church, we have to work hard to, uh, to craft our language. I talked about the tongue last week and the tongue being a fire. And that I think when we shame people, when we, when we work out of fear and shame instead of out of love and care and hope, we, uh, we burn down the opportunities for liberation for people, the opportunities for freedom. We make people want to go back to Egypt. So this is a really straightforward sermon. I'm not even sure it's, it's not exactly a sermon. It's not like what I normally do. But I ask you, um, let's use our voice. Let's use the resources that we have today and consistently to be a place that fights against um, injustice here and abroad, particularly this injustice. The person should not be owned. Someone made in the image of God. Um, should have freedom. Should have health. Should have care, trust, positive social relationships, and be reconciled to the God who created them. So let's do that together. Let's do it with our money. Let's do it with our voice. Let's do it with our relationships. Let's do it with all of our plans, with our decisions, with our programs. Let's be a people who use what we have to do God's will here, now, and for as long as we have breath in our lungs.